الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فقد قال تعالى في القران المجيد والفرقان الحميد كلما دخل عليها زكريا المحراب وجد عندها رزقا قال يا مريم ان لك هذا قالت هو من عند الله ان الله يرزق من يشاء بغير حساب Sadaqallah, sadaqallahul azim. I remember a time, approximately 25 to 30 years ago, when a tank of fuel cost maybe 150 rand to 200 rand to fill. I remember my father buying a Toyota Corolla and paying 30,000 rand for it, brand new cash. If you look now, you'll find to fill that same petrol tank will be maybe a thousand rand. And to purchase the equivalent of that Toyota Corolla brand new cash now will probably be around 400 to 500,000 rand. We find that with inflation, with the condition of the rand dollar, with other economic factors that have come into play, people have become very, very anxious, become very, very stressed out, seized by tension. And overall, people are very worried about how they are going to make ends meet. The cost of everything is rising. People are worried, how are we going to make it to the end of the month? So overall, there's a lot of worry where financial security is concerned. After all, we are human for a person to be concerned about tomorrow and his security is only natural. But in this regard, the first thing we need to do is to reaffirm our iman in the fact that it is Allah alone who provides. In the Quran Majid, Allah Ta'ala emphatically declares and states, Inna Allah huwa razzaq. Indeed, Allah, it is He alone who provides sustenance to the entire creation. In the Quran Majid, Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا مِن دَابَّةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْقُهَا There is no creature on the surface of the earth except that providing the sustenance of that creature is the responsibility and onus of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Under the tafsir of this ayat, Alama Alusi rahmatullahi alayhi mentions a very interesting incident. He says on one occasion, Allah ta'ala instructed Nabi Musa alayhi salam to take his staff and to strike a certain rock. When Nabi Musa alayhi salam struck this rock, it split open into two, and to his surprise, he found that within it there was another rock. Allah Ta'ala again instructs him to strike this rock. And when he strikes it, it splits open, and within it he finds there was a third rock. On the instruction and command of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, Nabi Musa salam strikes the third rock. And when it splits open, he finds to his surprise that nestled within it, in the depths of these three rocks, completely isolated from the outside world in every way, was a very, very small insect. 
And despite being cut off in every way from the outside world, with no means to penetrate and reach this insect, this insect could not come out, nor could anyone apparently get in. This insect had its sustenance in its mouth. Whether it was a small leaf or a blade of grass or a grain, whatever, it was eating its sustenance. And this insect was hymning the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and was saying, Subhana may yarani, wa yasma'u kalami, wa yarifu makani, wa yadkuruni, wa la yansani. Glory be to that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can see me despite me being so concealed from the eyes of every creation, Allah knows where I am. Wa yasma'u kalami, despite me being so small and insignificant, Allah ta'ala can hear exactly what I am saying. وَيَعْرِفُ makani. Allah Ta'ala knows exactly where I am located. وَيَذْكُرُنِي وَلَا yanzani. Allah Ta'ala will always remember me. Allah will never forget me. That even the smallest and most insignificant creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this tiny, minuscule insect, Allah Ta'ala provided for it, continues to provide for it, looks after it. And this insect is content knowing that my Allah is looking after me. The second thing we need to bear in mind that every single person's sustenance is pre-decreed, destined and ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what a person does, he cannot change his rosy and his sustenance. How much is meant to come to a person, when it is going to come to a person, that a person cannot control or change in any way. Allah ta'ala says in Surah Dhariyat, that a person's rosy, whatever is promised to come to him, that is predestined and recorded in the lawhi mahfuz. A person cannot change that in any way. So it is Allah alone who provides. Sometimes we become beguiled by the apparent means that we see before us. A person thinks, that if I work harder, I will get more. If I work less, I will get less. If I'm more qualified, I will get more. If my qualification is less, then I will earn less. But what we see in the society and people around us on an everyday basis disproves this notion. I personally know of certain people who are very highly qualified. But there has come a time in their life when they cannot find any work. They cannot get contracts, they cannot get tenders, they cannot find anybody to do work with. I know people who work so hard, yet they earn a pittance. And all of us will know of a certain few individuals who work maybe only four or five hours a day. And then they go home and they relax and that is enough to pull them for the whole month. Allah Ta'ala has blessed them in this way. So it is Allah alone who gives the rosy, the sustenance. Allah gives more to some people, less to other people. But it is all in the hands of Allah. So why should a person stress and become anxious about something that is out of his control? He's going to stress about it, he's not going to change anything. What is meant to come will come when it is meant to come. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned a Mubarak Hadith. إِنَّ جِبْرِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ أَلْقَى فِي رَوْعِي أَنَّ أَحَدًا مِنْكُمْ لَيَخْرُجَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا حَتَّى يَسْتَكْمِلَ رِزْقَهِ Jibreel alayhi salam instilled wahi into my heart from the side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that no person will depart from this world until he has completed consuming, using and eating his sustenance and rosy in full. That very last grain of rice, piece of bread, grain of sugar that was written in a person's rosy, that very, very last scent that was meant for him will come to him before he leaves this world. Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam warned and said, فَإِنِ اسْتَبَطَأَ أَحَدُ مِنْكُمْ رِزْقَهُ فَلَا يَتْلُبْهُ بِمَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ 
We should not become impatient and feel why the money is not coming. And in a state of impatience, we begin resorting to haram means to earn our livelihood. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, فَإِنَّ اللَّهُ لَا يُنَالُ فَضْلُهُ بِمَعْسِيَةِ The grace of Allah, the mercy of Allah, the blessings of Allah can never be earned and acquired by a person stretching his hand to haram and engaging in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once we have understood all of this, we next need to know what should be a person's mindset when he's earning wealth. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also told us, وَأَجْمِلُوا فِي الطَّلَبِ that a person should not sit all day and expect his rosy to fall out of the sky and land in his lap. Rather, a person should also engage in a moderate effort to earn his livelihood and his sustenance. So Rasulullah said, Ajmilu fi talab. Engage in a moderate effort to earn a sustenance. In other hadith, Rasulullah said, Man talabat dunya halalan. Whichever person whomsoever tries to earn a halal livelihood. And then Rasulullah describes the mindset of this person when earning a livelihood. Rasulullah mentioned three things. Isti'fafan anil mas'ala. His niyat is, Oh Allah, I am earning a livelihood so that I do not have to stretch my hands and beg from people. I want to be self-sufficient and independent. That is the first thing. The second thing was sa'yan ala ahli. That, oh Allah, I am earning this livelihood because I have people and dependents who I need to look after. He has a wife, he has children, he has aged parents. He needs to look after all these people. These are hukuk that are binding upon his responsibility. And the third thing is, وَتَعَطُّفًا ala jari. And his niyat is, oh Allah, if I have any extra wealth, I can show kindness to others as well. I can assist other people who have needs. Rasulullah explained that this person has such a high maqam. He's earning a halal livelihood, but just his mindset is a unique mindset. A mindset of a Muslim businessman should be like this. Rasulullah said, لَقِيَ اللَّهُ وَوَجْهُكَ الْقَمَرِ لَيْلَةِ الْبَدْرِ When this person meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah, his face will be so radiant with nur that it will be like the full moon, the 14th full moon. So this is the targheeb which Rasulullah has given in the Mubarak hadith. For a person to have the correct mindset when earning wealth. Now when it comes to people's financial difficulties, then generally every person thinks that the solution to coming out of this predicament is for me to earn more. If I have more money, then all my problems will be solved. But we find that more money is not the answer to the, to the problem. Rather the answer to the problem is two things. Hazrat Thami rahmatullahi alayhi explained and said, he said that very often people have financial difficulties and then they feel that if I earn more money, my problems will be solved. But what you find is that the more a person earns, proportionately his desires also grow. When the money earns, he doesn't think, let me set something aside for a rainy day. He doesn't think, let me pay off those debts. He thinks, now I can upgrade my car. So he said, furthermore, Earning more is not in a person's control. As we already explained, the person's rosy and sustenance is pre-decreed. Earning more money is not in our control. Whatever is meant to come is still going to come. Zatani rahmatullahi alayhi explained that what is in a person's control is for a person to curb his excessive and extravagant expenditure. You should see where I'm spending money, where I should not be spending money. I'm eating too much of out food. 
Every time I'm buying out food for my family, it's four, five hundred rand is going. That is wasteful, excessive expenditure. If I curb that, I can make, I can save this money. This money can be spent in better avenues. I can save this money. The second thing that we need to do is we need to acquire barakah in our livelihood. If a person has barakah in his livelihood, then even if what he's earning is a meager and small amount, on account of the barakah which Allah Taala has blessed him with, all his needs will be fulfilled. This person will go to sleep at night with ease, with comfort, without any stress and anxiety. He'll sleep a sound sleep. He'll wake up in the morning refreshed. He'll say, Alhamdulillah. Because this person has barakah in his wealth. For us to just understand the value of barakah. Because today, it's all about the numbers. A person looks at the bank balance, he wants to see a very high figure reflected. A person's doing business, he wants the profit margin to be very, very high. So everything has become about turning big numbers. And the focus of barakah has been completely lost. It is mentioned that there was once a man who had four sons. And the man now became terminally ill. And he was about to pass away. In those final days of his life, the one son spoke to his three brothers. He told his brothers that I am extremely eager to make my father's khidmat and to look after him as he passes away. Normally we take turns, these four brothers, we take turns to look after him. If all of you give me your turns... I'll give you my share of the inheritance. I want to have the exclusive right to look after my father. And if you give me this opportunity and this great chance, I will not take any claim from the estate. I'll give you my entire share of inheritance. Those three brothers did not know what they were losing. They were very happy. They said, we'll take the money and you can look after him. They thought it's a win-win. Number one, we don't have the onus the hardship, the burden of looking after him. Na'uzubillah, looking after one's father should never be regarded a burden. And he said, furthermore, we're going to get more money. He's paying us for him to do the work. Nevertheless, after some time, the father passed away. This young boy had taken no share in the inheritance as he had agreed with his brothers, although he had a right. And now he falls on hard times. And when he falls on hard times, the first pressure he feels is from his wife. That why did you have to go and do a thing like this? Now look, we don't have any food. We've got this problem, we've got that problem. So he turns to Allah Ta'ala and he makes dua. That night he sees a dream. A person comes and tells him in a dream, Iti makana kada wa kada. Go to such and such a place and dig in this place, you will find 100 dinars, 100 gold coins. But he asks, is there baraka in this money? He's told, no, there's no baraka. He said, I don't want it. In the morning he wakes up, he tells his wife, this is the dream I saw. There he gets the second dosage. His wife tells him, you are a fool. You are talking about baraka. What baraka? Can we eat baraka? We have no food on the table. At least we can get some food on the table. That's enough baraka for me. But nevertheless, he takes it patiently. He does not say anything. The next night, somebody comes to him in a dream and tells him, go to this place and dig. You'll get 10 dinars. He asks, is there baraka? He's told, no, I don't want it. Again, he has to hear the whole bayan from his wife. But he makes sabr and he remains steadfast. The third night he's told, go to such and such a place and dig and you will get one dinar. He asks, is there baraka? He says, the person tells him, yes. He says, now we're on. He goes to that place, he digs, he finds the one dinar. The first port of call is the market. They have no food. The first thing they need to do is get something to eat. He goes to the marketplace. He finds a person selling two fish. He asks the person, how much for these two fish? The person tells him one dinar. He pays him, he takes the fish home. When they get home and his wife begins to clean the fish, she finds a pearl in the belly of each fish. 
At that time, the king of the land was looking for a pearl to purchase. The king's men hear that this man has a pearl to sell. They come to him, they bring the pearl to the king. When the king sees the beauty of this pearl, he immediately buys it. 30 donkey loads of gold for one pearl. And when the king looks at it, he says, هَذَا لَا تَسْلُحُ إِلَّا بِأُخْتِهِ A pearl like this will not be appreciated unless it's in a pair. If you want to make earrings also, you'll need a pair. So he says, find out if he has another one like this. They said, yes, he does. For the second one, he pays double the price of the first 60 donkey loads of gold. From that one gold coin, this man gets 90 donkey loads of gold. And this is all in the name of Baraka. A person has Baraka. These are the type of phenomenal returns he will get on his investments. Not 13% and 14% and 7%. This is how many thousand percent or million percent a person got, but all on account of Baraka. In the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there was a sahabi by the name of Hazrat Urwa Bariqi radiallahu anhu. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua for him to get special baraka. The incident behind this is that once Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted it, I think it was a goat. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave him one dinar and told him, Oh Urwa, there's a certain caravan of traders that has come in. Go to them and buy me a goat with this one dinar. That Urwa radiallahu anh goes and he bargains with the person selling the goat and he manages to get two goats for the price of one dinar. Thereafter he sells the one goat for one dinar. And when he returns to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he gives Rasulullah sallam the goat that he asked for and over and above that he gives him the one dinar as well. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was extremely pleased with the initiative that the sahabi had showed in trying to help Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa trying to help the next person. Whether it's my Muslim brother, let me try and help the next person out. Sometimes we know of a business opportunity, a person is down on hard times, let me try and help the man out. Steer him in the right direction, give him the piece of advice that he wants. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was very, very pleased with the generosity of the sahabi. You see in today's times, we have restricted the concept of generosity to wealth. When it comes to our expertise, then we are not prepared to share our generosity with anybody. I got the formula, only I must have it, nobody else must have it, because that is my ticket to money. I got the supplier, no one must know about my supplier. I got the contract, nobody must know. I got the recipe, nobody must know about the recipe. I remember my brother told me once, when he was studying, there was a certain person near where he was staying, who had a very good recipe for something. And everybody used to ask this person for the recipe, Sometimes the auntie feels hard to say no. So she'd give the recipe, but she would omit one or two vital ingredients. Now the person will complain and say, it's not coming out the same like when you make it. The auntie will say, I'll come to your house and I'll show you it's the same. Those ingredients will be hidden in the apron. The person not looking, they put it inside. So this also is one form of stinginess and miserliness. Generosity is not only to spend money on people. To give them the right advice, to steer them in the right direction, to share our expertise with them, if we have expertise in something. This is also generosity. So Rasulullah was very impressed and very pleased with the Sahabi. Rasulullah made special dua for him. Allahumma barik lahu fi safaqati yameeni. O Allah, any business transaction this person does, O Allah, you give him baraka. On account of this baraka, they say that every Sahabi wanted to enter partnership with him. Because anything he touched turned to gold. This reported regarding the Sahabi. It is just a figure of speech. But if he had to buy dirt, he would be able to sell it at a profit. 
The Sahabi himself, he says, one morning, I went to a place called Kunasa, which is a place on the outskirts of Kufa. He says, just a few hours of the morning I did business. But Rasulullah's dua for barakah was such that I made 40,000 dirhams in a few hours and I went back home. That was his prophet alone. Now we all want to get this prophet in our lives. How does a person acquire this, this, this barakah? We all want this barakah. We understand the great value of this barakah. So there are certain things that we need to bring into our life in order to secure and acquire this barakah. The first thing is honesty. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned the hadith of Bukhari Sharif regarding two people who are engaging in a business transaction. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, فَإِن صَدَقَا وَبَيَّنَا بُورِكَ لَهُمَا فِي بَيْعِهِمَا If they are completely honest with one another, وَبَيَّنَا And they maintain complete transparency in their business dealing. بُورِكَ لَهُمَا فِي بَيْعِهِمَا Then they will acquire barakah in their transaction. And then Rasulullah ﷺ mentioned the converse as well. وَإِن كَذَبَا وَكَتَمَا If they are dishonest with one another, وَكَتَمَا And they are hiding and concealing things from one another. Dishonest, fraudulent behavior. Rasulullah ﷺ said, فَعَسَاءَ يَرْبَحَ رِبْحَا It's possible they'll make profit. It is very highly likely and possible that they will make a profit, but وَيَمْحَقَ بَرَكَةَ بَيْعِهِمَا The reality of the matter will be, they will have completely erased, obliterated and deleted all barakah from that transaction. So the first need is that of complete honesty. Alhamdulillah, today also there are people who are very honest in their business dealings. I know of one person, I go to him to buy fruit at times. Maybe some other people here had a similar experience with him. When I go to him to buy fruit, he's just a normal fruit seller. I ask him, how are the nachis? So we know they're sweet. How are the kiwis? They know nice, so don't buy them. Where did you ever hear a businessman telling you it's not good, don't buy it? How are these mangoes? Customers were complaining, they didn't like it. Once I asked him, how are the nectarines? I only brought it now, I haven't tasted it, I don't know. Where do we find a level of honesty to this extent? Alhamdulillah, we do find it in certain people. So one day I asked him, I said, you know what, something very unique, I see complete honesty, you tell me don't buy the goods. Where will you ever find a businessman telling a man, don't buy my goods, the mangoes are not sweet. He says, I've got a cousin who sells cars in Amgeni Road. There's, I don't know how many people selling cars in Amgeni Road, I don't know who this person is. But he said, my cousin told me, when you do business, always be honest and completely transparent with your customer. If you do that, Allah Ta'ala will give you barakah. We find this is the need for complete... Now, what happens a person selling a car? He wants to sell the car and he's keeping quiet. Previous accident record, he's not talking about it. Something is faulty, he's not talking about it. The person is selling a house, there's leaks in the roof, he's keeping quiet. All these types of things, he's just worried I must get my price. He doesn't know he's engaging in fraudulent, dishonest business practices, completely losing the barakah. On one occasion, Rasulullah went to the marketplace and saw a person who was selling grain. The grain was perhaps in a heap. Rasulullah walked up to the grain, took his Mubarak hand and inserted it to the very bottom of the grain and pulled out a handful of grain that was wet. The grain on top was not wet, the grain at the bottom was wet. Now obviously if the grain is wet, it's going to spoil, it's going to go rotten. But the wet grain was where? Hidden at the bottom. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells him, Ya sahibat ta'am ma hadha? What, what, what's happening here? He says, Asabatu sama ya Rasulullah. Oh Rasulullah sallallahu he got wet with the rain. But now what he's doing, he's hiding the defect. He's hiding the fault, he's not talking about the fault and the defect. 
So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, أَفَلَا جَعَلْتَهُ فَوْقَ الطَّعَامِ كِي يَرَاهُ النَّاسِ That why did you not place the defective grain on the top so people can clearly see what they are buying? Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, مَنْ غَشَّ فَلِيسَ مِنِّي The person who engages in this type of fraudulent, deceptive business practices has nothing to do with me, I have nothing to do with him. Allah ta'ala save, Allah ta'ala save one and all. Imagine on the day of Qiyamah when we want the intercession of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When we need him to help us and bail us out, if he must tell us, I have nothing to do with you, why are you asking me for help? You are the person who is to engage in fraudulent business practices. Can we ever afford to incur that loss on the day of Qiyamah? So the first thing is honesty. After honesty, the next thing we need to do is abstain from all sins. In the hadith of Ibn Majah Sharif, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, وَإِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَيُحْرَمُ الرِّزْقِ بِالذَّنْبِ يُسِيبُهُ That many a time, a person is deprived of sustenance because of sins he's committing in his life. Sometimes he can be apparent, sometimes not so apparent. A person loses the business deal. Sometimes the money goes. There's theft. Why the theft happened? Why did the hijacking happen? Why did the robbery take place? Because of those sins. The rose is going away. Sometimes a business deal falls apart because of those sins. Sometimes there's no money disappearing, but the barakah is disappearing. All on account of sins that a person is committing. At times, this does not happen immediately. It takes time, but it catches up to a person eventually. Because Allah Ta'ala's system is that, Allah Ta'ala does not catch a person immediately. Allah Ta'ala gives rope, Allah Ta'ala gives respite. Allah Ta'ala gives a person a chance to fix his life and to put things right. But if a person persists on this path of wrong, then eventually when Allah Ta'ala does catch him, فَإِذَاهُمْ soon. Then this person doesn't know where to turn because he's fallen so hard, his legs are broken, he can never stand up and wake up again. So the second thing is, the first is honesty, the second is to stay away from all types of sins. The third is to stay away from riba and interest. Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran in Majid, يَمْحَقُوا اللَّهُ الرِّبَا Allah Ta'ala completely obliterates all types of riba. Riba is poison, riba will completely kill a person, riba is cancer. Imagine in the Qur'an Majid, Allah Ta'ala declares war with the person who engages in deals in riba. Where Allah Ta'ala says, فَأْذَنُوا بِحَرْبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ How can we expect, expect to gain barakah from Allah Ta'ala? How can we expect Allah Ta'ala to bless us and to help us in our hour of need? When you had war with Allah. But this is all the result of dealing in riba. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, now unfortunately because of business practices that are rife today, everything happens through the bank. And the bank will offer such lucrative deals where a person thinks that, you know what, in a very short period of time, I will be able to expand my business, I will be able to grow my portfolio in this way and in that way. But it's all on the strength of the bank and interest. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned regarding riba, that وَإِن كَثُرَ فَإِنَّ عَاقِبَتَهُ يَسِيرُ إِلَىٰ قُلْ أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم That sometimes the amount of money will appear to be very large. But the end result of riba is always that you will end up losing. Qul means decrease. At the end of the day you will always end up with qalil, with very little, with less. This is the result of riba. I know a person personally, very very prominent businessman, and businesses were growing, leading a very uh, comfortable, opulent lifestyle. But the reality of the matter is this person was drowning in riba. So one day with the tawfiq of Allah, we got speaking, I explained to him that, you know what, doing all these types of riba practices is not going to increase your rosy in any way. What's meant to come will come. 
Whether you go via the bank or you do it cash with your own hard-earned sweat, you're going to get the same amount. You'd rather get it with barakah than lose the Because the same thing is going to come. If Allah decreed 100 rand, you're going to get 100 rand. The difference is here you get 100 rand at war with Allah, here you get 100 rand with barakah from Allah. So what, why sacrifice that barakah and go at war with Allah? This person, for him to come out of that mess, he had to pay off about 60 million rand. But this person was a sincere person. Allah Ta'ala inspired him. Slowly, slowly, he began to liquidate all his assets and everything that he had, real estate, everything. Allah Ta'ala gave him tawfiq. After about approximately three years or so, he managed to come out of that riba. But look at the mess that he ended up in. Look at the mess that he landed himself in when he got involved in this riba. He's just fortunate Allah Ta'ala gave him tawfiq to come out of it. Otherwise, where this person would have ended up? So the first is honesty and truthfulness. Then staying away from sins and then staying away from riba. The next thing we need to be very particular regarding is our salah. Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an Majid, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَةِ Command your family, your household, to be very steadfast on salah, to uphold salah. وَاسْتَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا And don't be one of those who preaches what he doesn't practice himself. You yourself also, it starts with you. You must be in a masjid and then you can command your family and your household to be constant and steadfast on salah. And immediately after this command of salah, what does Allah Ta'ala say? لَا نَسْأَلُكَ رِزْقَ نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكَ We do not ask you to provide the rosy, we provide the rosy. The Mufassirin explain, why does Allah Ta'ala speak about the, sust, the provision of sustenance immediately after the command of salah? Read your namaz, tell your family read namaz. You don't give the rosy, we'll give the rosy. The Mufassirin explain, the reason is that constancy, steadfastness, punctuality and commitment to salah is the key to a person acquiring his rosy with izzat and afiat from Allah Ta'ala with barakah. You look after your namaz, Allah will look after your rosy. For a male, what does that mean? It means he needs to be in a masjid for his five times daily salah on time. We know that earning a livelihood is a responsibility. Yes, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also said, كَسْبُ الْحَلَالِ فَرِيضَةٌ بَعْدَ الْفَرَائِضِ that earning a halal livelihood is a faraz obligation. But Rasulullah said, after the other faraiz, it's a faraz, but after the others. Meaning you can't say, I can't go masjid because I need to earn. Masjid is first and then comes earning. In the Quran Majid, Allah Ta'ala praises certain people saying, Rijalun la tulhihim tijara. They are certain special servants of Allah Ta'ala who are such that business does not distract them. Engaging in business does not distract them from their salah and zikr of Allah Ta'ala. Regarding this, it is mentioned in the time of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there were two sahaba. One was a blacksmith by trade, the other was a trader, a general merchant. A blacksmith obviously when he's beating the metal into shape, he's got his hammer, he's got the metal on the anvil and he's striking. It is mentioned regarding this sahabi, that if his hammer was rising and he heard the azan, as soon as he heard the azan, he would drop it behind his shoulder. In other words, he would not take the single extra one second to put it in its place. One second delay to go for, for salah, he could not tolerate. He would leave it and immediately go for salah. And if his hammer was coming down and he heard the azan, he would just let it fall, drop it and walk to the masjid. The other sahabi, being a merchant, he would sell things by weight. There as well, the scale. He would just leave the scale as it was and go to the masjid for salah. They knew that Running the business and not going to the masjid is not going to get me anything else. Not going to get me anything extra. Let me go to the masjid what Allah wants. 
I do what Allah wants, Allah will look after me. I look after my namaz, Allah will look after my business. There's an alim in Durban, I won't take his name. Many, many, many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, we had a shop in town. And the azan was being called out in the masjid. He was busy locking his shop when a man came to the door and tells him, I need to buy something. So he tells his man, can you hear that sound? The man said, yes. He said, that's the call for prayer. My Allah, my God is calling me. I need to go. I can't, I can't open my shop now. I'm going to get late for my prayer. The man said, please, I really need to buy this thing. I've got a thousand rand to spend in your shop. 30 years ago, a thousand rand is maybe like 10,000 rand now. He said, you're offering me a thousand rand, but if I miss that salah, that prayer, I'll be missing millions. I can't afford that sacrifice. That compromise, I can't afford. He locks up and he goes for salah. He reads his salah. He reads his sunnats. And when he returns to his shop, lo and behold, that man is waiting for him. What was meant to him came to him. But he came to him with the happiness of Allah and with barakah. It did not come to him where he had to compromise on his deen, do Allah down to make a quick buck. He knew he had his priorities in order. Approximately two months ago, I went to a certain shop to buy a shoe. And the owner of the shop, sometimes we get chatting, we just have a casual interaction. He pulls out the receipt and he shows me. He says, yesterday a certain professor came to my shop. He bought four pairs of shoes, 12,000 rand. He shows me the receipt. He says, you know, I closed my shop, I locked the door and I went for namaz. When I came back, this man was waiting for me outside my shop. He says, I walked past your shop, I saw a shoe I liked and I waited here for you. He says, Allah showed me. I looked after my namaz, Allah looked after my business. He said, normally to make this amount in one day, Allah Ta'ala sent the business. What we need to realize is Allah is razak, Allah, Allah who does. You don't see two people have identical shops, selling identical lines at identical prices, but one is cashing it and the other one is battling. Who's sending the customers to one shop and not sending to the other? Who puts it in the customer's heart to go here and not to go there? It is Allah Ta'ala who gives. We must look after the salah. After salah, we must make sure our zakat is done correctly. Done correctly and done with a good heart. Zakat must not be regarded as a burden. In the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ubay bin Ka'b radiallahu anhu was sent to collect the zakat from certain people. In those days, when it was zakat of animals, then the khalifa, at that time obviously was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would appoint one sahabi to go farm to farm and sahabi to sahabi. He would do the calculation and he would physically collect the animals and bring them. And then the Baytul Mal would thereafter distribute and do whatever needed to be done with those animals as zakat. So he comes to a certain sahabi, he calculates and he tells him, right, your zakat is one she-camel, one year old. Now obviously that's a very small camel, a very, very young camel. So the sahabi who hears that, who's giving the zakat, he says, but that's so little. A she-camel, one year old, it can't give milk, it's only one year. It's so small, one year, you can't even ride it. I don't want to give something, I want to give something better than that. Why must I give something so small? And in today's times, we find people are trying to push redundant stock and dead stock in zakat. Allah Ta'ala warns in the quran Majid, وَلَا تَيَمَّمُ الْخَبِيثَ مِنْهُ تُنْفِقُونَ You want to spend in the path of Allah, don't spend kachra in Allah's path. You're spending for Allah's sake, spend the best for Allah. This sahabi says, I want to give better, I want to give the best. Adubay bin Ka'ab radiallahu anh tells him, my instruction is to take this. I can't take better until we ask Rasulullah If he allows it, then I'm happy. He says, right, we'll go to Rasulullah They go to him. That sahabi says, oh Nabi of Allah, this is the first time in my life I'm paying zakat. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that today I can fulfill this ibadat of Allah. 
And this man wants such a small thing from me. I want to give better than that. Rasulullah said, the faraz is what he asked you for. If you want to spend better, Allah will accept it and Allah will reward you. That's a nafil from your side. He gives the better camel. And then Rasulullah made dua for him for barakah. Again, we come back to the key word barakah. Umar bin Hazm, one of the reporters of this hadith, he mentions many, many years later, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Muawiyah radiallahu I went to collect zakat from that same sahabi. He says, what barakah Allah granted him, what barakah? The barakah Allah granted him was now he had 1,500 heads of camel. So that now his zakat was not one camel, it was 30 camels. And not one year old camels, three year camels. This was on account of the barakah that Allah Ta'ala granted him. Zakat. That zakat is a purification for the wealth. It protects the wealth from all types of calamities, hijackings, fires, robbery. And also it is what brings the barakah into that wealth. So zakat must be done correctly with a happy heart as well. Not to regard it as a burden, a tax and a fee. It's not saz. This is for Allah Ta'ala's sake we are giving. Do it happily. And then sadaqah. Outwardly, any accountant will tell you, if money is going out, there's a decrease. It's something logical, simple mathematics. If you got 10 rand, you give 5 rand, you only got 5 rand left. It's not rocket science. But the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَا نَقَصَتْ صَدَقَةٌ مِّمْ Sadaqah will never decrease your money. These are the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sadaqah will never decrease your money. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an Majid, وَمَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ مِّنْ شَيْءٍ فَهُوَ يُخْلِفُ Whatever you spend in the path of Allah, Allah will replace it. Now we find that a person gives money in sadaqah, Allah Ta'ala gives him barakah in his wealth. In one occasion, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told the Sahaba a certain incident. Rasulullah Sallallahu told him that there was a man who was standing in the wilderness and he saw a rain cloud. And he heard a voice from the unseen address that rain cloud and say, go to such and such land and rain water on that land. And that voice also took the name of a certain person. So while he's watching, he's completely surprised at what is unfolding before him. He sees this rain cloud go to a certain barren piece of land, very rocky, and it begins to rain. Because of the land being rocky, the rain did not absorb into the ground. It began to flow and eventually collected in a certain ditch. Now he sees the water collecting in a ditch and beginning to flow. So he follows the path of the water to see where is this water going. As he walks along, walks along, he sees that he's coming to a certain plot of land where there is a farmer. This farmer is standing at the end of the ditch, he has a spade in his hand, and using the spade, he's directing the water, using it to funnel the water into his land. So the man approaches the farmer, he tells him, what is your name? The farmer replies, telling him the same name that he heard the voice take when instructing the cloud to give water to this land. Now he realizes that this man is a very special person. There's a very good deed he's doing in his life due to which Allah Ta'ala is giving him special barakah and looking after him like this. So he asked the man, tell me what is the special action that you do that Allah is happy with you? So this man obviously didn't know what he's talking about. So he explained to the man, oh, this is what happened, I heard this voice and this rain fell in this manner, a very unique manner, miraculous manner, and this is how the water came to your land. This man said, there's only one thing that I do. He says, I'm a farmer, whenever I harvest my crops, I split my crop into three parcels. I make it into thirds. One third I eat with my family. One third I plant back into the land to continue my business. And the last third I give in sadaqah. In other words, this man's concern is not only my pet, you know. I must live it up, I must be comfortable. But this is what they teach in school today. 
This is what, you know in school today they have a subject called EMS. What they will teach you in school is survival of the fittest. Every man for himself. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That is what they teach today. That you must thrive at the expense of others. Islam is about how I can enjoy and others can enjoy. I must be happy, others must be happy. One of my friends, he was telling me approximately a few months ago, he's telling me, you know, I'm in retail, but one of my family relatives is in wholesale. He's telling me, you know, in wholesale, customers don't walk in by and walk out. Wholesale, you are supplying people, you are supplier. So you need to go and you need to find the customers. Customers don't come to you, you need to go to them. He's telling me, any person you go to supply, he already is getting his stuff from someone. So you're going there to steal the business. For example, if you got a takeaway, you need a styrofoam punnets. So you're getting your styrofoam punnets from one shop. I'm going to go there and I'm going to try and steal that contract so I can supply you instead of him. He says, that's how the business works. I said, but this is completely wrong. This is against Iman. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه You do not have perfect and complete iman unless you love for your brother what you love for yourself. You're not loving for him what you love for yourself. You want he must lose and I must win. This is wrong. That is why Hazrat Anas radiallahu anhu he says once I was with Rasulullah sallallahu mentioned the same hadith. You do not have perfect and complete iman unless you love for others what you love for yourself. He says after that I went to the market with another sahabi and he went to buy a certain utensil. He asked the man selling it, how much are you selling it for? The man said, 30 dirhams. He says, okay, I'll pay you 40. The man said, what? I'm asking for 30, you're giving me 40? He said, no, you're right. I'll pay you 50. So the man was shocked. He said, why are you paying me 50? I wanted 30. He says, just now, I heard Rasulullah saying, you don't have perfect and complete iman unless you love for others what you love for yourself. If I was selling it, I would want 50. So if I'm buying it from you, I will pay you 50. So I explained to this friend of mine with Allah's grace. I told him, when you approach that person, what must be in your heart? Your niyat must not be, that man must lose the contract, I must get the contract. Your niyat in your heart must be, oh Allah, how are you giving him? Give him and give me also. Why can the man not buy from both? I ask you. You can buy panets from him, you can buy panets from me also. He must win and I must win. This is the attitude a Muslim should have. Not I must steal the business from him. Allah Ta'ala must give him his rosy. Allah give me my rosy also. He can buy from him, he can buy from me also. Why must we have that shark mindset and attitude and mentality that I must be like a predator hunting the prey and I must go and I must steal the business from this person and from that person. This is not the Islamic way. This is not the way of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi and the Sahaba and that is not the way to acquire barakah in one's livelihood. The next thing you find is dua. Obviously a person makes abundant dua for barakah all the time. And then avoiding disputes and quarrels. A person engages in disputes and quarrels. This person will lose all the barakah. I've already taken so much of time. Make me mouth. Just, just conclude one incident. Rasulullah mentioned the hadith. That person who leaves out quarrels and arguments, despite being in the right, man tarakal mirah wa huwa muhiqun. You have the right, but you leave out quarrels and arguments. Why? For the sake of Allah. It's your haq. You can take it up if you want. But you say, never mind. Let me keep the peace and lose the money. Allah Ta'ala will give this person a palace in Jannah. We've perhaps all heard of Hazrat Mufti Taqi Damal Barakatu. His late father, Hazrat Mufti Shafi Rahmatullahi Ali, was a grand mufti of Pakistan. 
very, very, very great alim. Allah Ta'ala granted him great acceptance. His tafsir also has great acceptance, Ma'adiful Qur'an. His other works, his fatawa, Jawahirul Fiqh, the other kitabs that he wrote also have universal acceptance. It is mentioned that at one point in his life he had bought a home. He bought the home and then he wanted to engage in, in, in he wanted to undertake some renovation of the house. He wanted to extend the house. He's extending the house, now the neighbor comes to fight with him. The neighbor tells him that you're extending, but that piece of land, that small strip, belongs to me. The Mufti Shafi Rahmatullah looks at the title deed, he looks at the plot. He says this man has absolutely no claim at all whatsoever. What this man is saying is rubbish. If he goes to court, he'll win. This man will have no case at all. But he thinks to himself, what will it cost me to just move my extension in a little bit? He's my neighbor after all. Avoid the argument. Never mind. Allah Ta'ala will give me the palace in Jannah. So he amends his plans. He tells the man, okay, no problem. Now the man comes and tells, he tells him, you know what? Why don't I sell that land to you? He tells him, okay, no problem. He buys it from him. And today we have brother fighting with brother for money. And sister and brother and father and son. And how many cases come to the madrasa and come to the muftis and the darul iftas for arbitration and for reconciliation and mediation because all for that money. Now Mufti Shafi rahmatullahi alayhi, he goes to Pakistan. He makes hijrat, he moves over. And then he wants to open a darul ulum. So he's allotted a piece of land in a very very prime location. Obviously you don't want to land in the sticks. Who's going to come there? He's going to be dangerous, out of the way. He's given a piece of land in a prime location. And all the intizam is made, the plans are drawn. And now they're having the fountain laying, the foundation laying ceremony. Where now certain pious people get together and they will place the first brick and they'll make dua that, Oh Allah, you place barakah in this institute, an institute of deen, the Starul Loom is being founded. And we find on that day, on that day when everything was planned and everything supposed to go ahead, Certain people came forward and they say, no, that land is not yours, it's our land. So Mufti Shafi Rahmatullahi Alayhi, he immediately sends out a message, cancel the ceremony, we are not going ahead with the madrasa on this land. So the other members who were involved, the other people who were influential, they came to him and they said, what are you doing? This land is so valuable, it was given to us fair and square. We have all the documentation to prove that it's valid and it belongs to us. To hell with these people, who do they think they are? They're coming and putting a spanner in the works here. Uthi Shafi said, no. How can we expect to have barakah in a Darul Uloom where the bricks were laid, not with barakah, were laid with quarrel and argument? Leave this, Allah will give something better. Again, he had his eyes on that palace in Jannat. And according to his expectation from Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala gave him something better. Allah Ta'ala gave them a better land in a better area. And today the Darul Uloom stands there. We make dua to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala grant us all barakah in our lives. Allah Ta'ala grant us all the Qualities that are behoving of a true Muslim businessman, as we saw the salah, the honesty, the wishing well for others, not doing people down, and giving our sadaqah, giving our zakat, being truthful at all times. May Allah Ta'ala grant us best of this world and the next. Wa khudawan, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.